0: Amen. Praise the Lord. It is good to be here today. Thank you for joining with us on campus and thank you for those joining with us online as we worship uh, the Lord together. Uh, Before we turn to God's word, let us uh, open up in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, that you have allowed us to gather together today, uh, both on campus and online, to uh, celebrate, to worship Jesus. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, As we open up your word this morning, we ask that the Spirit of God go before us. Uh, Lord, in the midst of that, we celebrate all that you are allowing us to be a part of and to witness. uh, Lord, from uh, the sending out of missionaries to share the gospel, to uh, uh, celebrating a baptism in our second service today. And just all that you're doing uh, before our eyes and behind the scenes. Lord, to God be the glory. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 will be uh, actually in verses 21 through 40 this morning, if you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to uh, open up to page uh, 950 this morning, that's what we'll be this morning, I believe it's 950, the screen says 895, so it's either 895 or 950, so uh, try one, if it's not that one, it'll be the other one. Um, Just as a a way of just celebrating what God is doing, Lord willing, on January the 7th, so the first Sunday in in January, we will have uh, Aaron and Alicia and their little boy and Dylan uh, here uh, during our worship services and and during uh, a portion of our worship services together. We're going to pray specifically over them as as God uh, does a mighty work in and through their lives and uh, as Aaron and Alicia uh, prepare to go back to, to South Asia And Dylan is starting his training where he will eventually, uh, Lord willing, in March uh, go to West Africa. And so we want to celebrate what God is doing and we want to pray over them specifically. Uh, We started a sermon series a couple weeks ago entitled The Story of Christmas. And we'll pick up that sermon series this morning as we look at the, the second part of this uh, but in that first part, we opened up Matthew chapter two, and we, we read the entire chapter uh, together, and we studied it together. And those events of Matthew 2 would have been sometime uh, Jesus was more than likely uh, a few months old up to uh, two, two years old. And so uh, and, and the importance of that is to remind us that the Christmas story isn't just about the nativity scene, right? There's so much more involved in that. And so what we see, in Matthew chapter 2, is uh, there's a clash of kings, right? Uh, you have Jesus being born as king. You have Herod anointed as king, right? One was anointed uh, as king because of uh, uh, earthly leaders, uh, but yet Jesus was born king because of God's great divine plan for him. And Herod, uh, he wanted to flex his muscles, right? That's how he wanted to show his kingship. He wanted to show his power over people, right? Uh, in fact, he did everything. Uh, to control people. And yet, uh, Jesus, as our great king, he comes humbly, right? He comes to be with us. What an amazing picture of the story of Christmas, right? Uh, Not only is there a clash of kings, but there's a conflict within the kingdoms, right? There's a a conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, right? Uh, We have to be reminded that as we live in this life, Satan is at work, and the evil uh, powers of Satan are at work, right? He comes only, what, to kill, steal, and destroy. But praise be to God, the story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to give us life, right? Not just life eternal, uh, but life abundantly. And and we also recognize that in Matthew 2 that there is a commitment to be made. Uh, The the Christmas story reminds us that that we need and have to make a commitment, right? Uh, We can be like Herod and commit to the things of the world. We can choose to be like the religious people. Remember, it was the, when the Magi went to the religious leaders about, about the star that they had seen, and they, they go to the religious leaders and say, where, where can he be found? The religious leaders quote from Scripture, but they do nothing else, right? And so we can be like the religious leaders. We can know a lot about the Bible, but not be faithful to the Lord, right? Or we can be like Mary and Joseph and the Magi who obey the prompting of the Lord, we're hearing from the Lord, we have a relationship with the Lord, and so there is a commitment to be made. And this morning, we're going to look at a different Christmas story, uh, a different side of the Christmas story that occurs when Jesus is uh, roughly between the ages of eight days old uh, up to uh, a little over a month. And we find that in Luke 2. Again, we're going to uh, be in verses 21 through 40 this morning. Uh, It's really a story of tremendous hope, Uh, Biblical hope is this, and this is important. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God is going to be faithful, right? And in faithfulness, he will only do, God will only do what brings him glory and our ultimate good. And so where are you this morning? As we gather for worship, where are you this morning? Are you in a place of struggle, hurt, despair? Are you searching? Are you seeking Maybe you've come here today and you're ready to throw in the towel and to to give up on life, if you will. If that's you this morning, I pray that this message uh, will meet you where you are and give you the Christmas hope that only comes through the Lord. So I'm going to read our passage this morning and then we'll unpack it. Verses 21 through 40. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their, meaning Mary and Jesus, uh, purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, speaking of Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they, speaking of Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord... They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And it's out of this passage that I want us to look at three very important observations as it pertains to uh, the hope that we have in the Lord. The first is the comfort of hope. That's the first observation that we're going to look at this morning the comfort of hope. And we see this uh, beginning in verse 25. Again the scripture says now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, in, the, in these two verses, we're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon. The, the name Simeon means the one who hears, the one who hears. Simeon put himself in a position from, to hear from the Lord. Simeon loved the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He committed himself to the things of the Lord. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by the word of God, and he hoped in the promises of God. He was patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, think about that word consolation for just a moment. Now, for some of us, uh, if you grew up in the 80s, you might have watched a TV show or game show called The Price is Right, right? And and The Price is Right, if you won the the first showcase and you spun the wheel and you got closest to a dollar without going over, you beat those people, you get to the final showcase, right? And it's at the final showcase that they just show everything, right? And it's your job, your goal, to bid on all those items without going over. Right? If you're a dollar over, guess what? You don't win anything except you get a consolation prize. Right? So maybe you uh, saw a 69 Mustang Fastback Shelby or something, right? And you are a dollar over. Your consolation prize is like a Lego set, right? It's a big bummer, right? Now, when we think about this word consolation, this is not how we need to understand this word. It's a word that describes comfort and restoration for the people of God. How? Through the promised Messiah. So you're not losing something, but you're gaining something far more than you could ever imagine. And in Simeon's old age, this is what he's hoping for. The only thing that's really keeping him alive is the promised hope of Christ. The scripture says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not what? He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how many years was he waiting? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that the day finally arrives. And the scripture says in verses 27 through 32, and he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people, Israel. What is Simeon clinging to? He's clinging to the hope that is going to be found in the Messiah. Up to his last breath on this earth, that's what he's hoping for, right? He's hoping to see the Messiah. He knows that the Messiah will come He knows that he will see the Messiah. For years he has faithfully come and for years he has faithfully hoped for this day and the day has come and the scripture says that now he can depart in peace according to God's promise. That word depart is important. It means to release a prisoner. The word peace talks about bringing something back, to to bring something back, make it whole again, to, to restore something that was lost. And the story of Christmas reminds us that God sends Jesus to comfort his people by releasing the prisoners. By restoring them back into right relationship with him. And this is incredible news. And this is the news that the prophet Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2 the scripture says, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins the context of these verses are amazing why because god's people are weary and they're weary for two reasons one they've been at war right they've been in exile but even greater than that they're weary because of the guilt the shame and the condemnation that comes because of their sin they are in bondage they are held captive and isaiah says there is a day coming on the horizon when jesus christ will be born he will come into this earth And he will be the great rescuer that humanity needs to release us from that captivity and to restore us back to the Lord. And notice that this promise of restoration and the setting of the captives free isn't just given to the people of Israel, but to the Gentiles as well. What does Simeon say? He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I mean, what an amazing scene. Where is Simeon? Simeon, a Jew, is standing in the temple, right? And what is he declaring? He's declaring that the light has come not just for the people of Israel, but for all the nations. The gospel The light of the gospel is available to all. This too was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, the scripture says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I mean, think about it. In the pain of exile, captivity, and hardship, and sin, and all the wandering, Isaiah prophesies of a day that hope is here. These verses are prophesying about the one and only Jesus Christ, right? He is the Savior. Jesus will never abandon his people. He will never leave them, and he will be the very light to the nations. When Jesus begins his earthly ministry, According to Luke chapter 4, he's standing in the middle of the synagogue, and he opens up the scroll, and he begins to read from that scroll. And where did he read from? He read from Isaiah chapter 61, and the scripture says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the needy, to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the wounds of the the grieving and the broken, the neglected, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to free people from the oppression of Satan and evil and sin, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He delivers us from the bondage of sin into newness of life. And then verse 2, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now think about this for a minute. There's two things happening here. Uh, the year of the Lord's favor is the year of Jubilee. That 50th year when d- all debts were settled, uh, land was given back, right? That's an amazing day, right? Like anything that you've owed has been wiped clean. But the point that is, in, that is significant here is Jesus doesn't quote the second part in Luke chapter 4 where it talks about the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Why? Isaiah 61 verse 2 is telling us that this day of the Lord's favor, this day of the Lord's grace will one day what? It will end, right? There is going to come a day when Jesus is going to come again, the second coming of Christ where he will judge, right? The righteous judge will declare judgment on all. You're either with them or you're not, right? And so we have to be reminded that though the Christmas story brings about great hope, there is a day when that hope will be done, right? Right? And so that's what Jesus is prophesying, or Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And what is Simeon doing? Simeon is anchoring his hope in the Lord. That's where his comfort is coming from. But not just Simeon, we also are introduced to who? Who? Anna, think about Anna for just a moment. The scripture says in verse 36 through 38, she says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a, bir- a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, speaking of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is an amazing picture of a faithful woman of the Lord. The word Anna, her name means grace, and that's exactly what she received from the Lord. In her old age, Anna had been a widow for a very, very long time. And not only was Anna a widow, but the scripture says something very important. It says that she came from the tribe of Asher. Now, why is that important? Because the tribe of Asher was one of the ten tribes in the northern kingdom that would have been lost during Babylonian captivity in many ways. These were the lost and forgotten people of God. And Anna, as a widow in Jewish society, more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, without children, had little way to provide for herself. And she's part of the lost, forgotten people, right? Everything seems to be stacking up against her. And in tremendous adversity, suffering, heartache, and loneliness, she has dedicated her life and the gift that God had given her, teaching to the Lord. She's not growing bitter, right? She's faithfully following the Lord. She is trusting in the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord. She understands what the scripture says. Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God and his holy habitation. She's waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. She is forgotten by many, but she is not forgotten by her Lord. God in his grace comforts the lonely. That's what we see in the story of Anna. She is not alienated or separated from her Lord. She's finding great comfort in her Lord. So both in Simeon and Anna, what do we see? We see the comfort that Christmas brings. Simeon and Anna are not being held captive to their circumstances. They aren't putting their hope in the things of this world, but in the faithfulness of their God. And the Lord has made a promise. And when the Lord makes a promise, guess what? He will deliver hundred times out of a hundred, right? And the promise is fixated on what? The person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And how do Simeon and Anna respond? They respond in faith, praise, thanksgiving, and worship, and like Simeon and like Anna. We, too, should respond in the way that the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 52, verses 9 and 10. What is the prophecy there? Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has what? He has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The consolation of Israel, the redeemer of Jerusalem, and the light to all the nations. The scripture says that he has barred his holy arms before our eyes. Now that's an incredible phrase. What does that mean? It's a picture of God rolling up his sleeves, right? That's what it's trying to show us. He's rolling up his sleeves. He's choosing to go to work in the midst of captivity and darkness and bondage and grief and loneliness and confusion and waiting and longing for something better. The story of Christmas reminds us that he is at work even behind the scenes. And to that, those who find their comfort and hope in the Lord, there is great praise. There is great thanksgiving. There is great worship. So the comfort of hope. The second observation, the conflict of hope, the conflict of hope. When we think about the hope of Christmas, we we cannot forget the conflict that it does bring. And the conflict happens in in primary two ways in our passage this morning. Uh, Notice what happens in verse 33 through 35. Uh, The scripture says, and his, uh, speaking of Jesus' father, his father and his mother marveled. So they're filled with surprise, they're filled with joy of all the things that Simeon had said. Uh, What was said about him and Simeon blessed him and said to uh, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so the first conflict we see is many will what? They will reject the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture is saying, the rising and the falling. That's what he says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The word child is important because in the Greek it communicates the word stone. Now think about this for a minute. According to Psalm 118 verse 22, Jesus is going to be what? He is going to be the re- rejected cornerstone. And according to Isaiah eight fourteen, the nation of Israel will stumble over who? They will stumble over Jesus. Some will receive the hope of salvation that Jesus offers, but many, many will reject him. When the apostle Peter is writing to the early church He he uses that same language to give Christians in the midst of exile hope and comfort in a time of great suffering. He says in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, As you, speaking of believers, come to him, come to Jesus, a living stone, right? He's a resurrected Savior, rejected by men. I love this. He's rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are bound to him forever, right? For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am uh, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, the hope of Christmas reminds us that when we are with Jesus, we cannot lose, right? But what does verse 7 say? so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe do not trust in Jesus the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do so without Jesus you're never going to win right? you don't have victory at all So that's the great conflict of Christmas when the hope comes to those who put their faith in Christ guess what there is security there is stability. There is protection. When the storms of life come, we know who upholds us, right? It's Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. But those who reject the Lord, they don't have the hope of Christmas. Simeon says Jesus will be a sign that is opposed. The word sign there talks about uh, miracles. And, and everything about Jesus is a miracle, right? I mean, think about uh, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven, his second coming, all those things are miraculous. There is no one like Jesus. Again, that's what the story of Christmas shows us, that there is absolutely no one like Jesus. And all those signs are to do what? To, to point us to the work of Christ, right? When, when John ends his message of the gospel according to him, His view, his perspective. In John 20, what does the scripture say? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But guess what? Not everybody received the signs. Not everybody believed in the miracles of Jesus Think about this, the story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus has come to do what we cannot do and to be who we cannot be, and yet he's opposed and rejected by many. So the hope of Christmas comes with great conflict. Jesus will be rejected, he will be opposed, but not only that, what does Simeon say to Mary? He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word sword is in the present tense, meaning uh, the hope of Christ will keep piercing your soul. Now the question is, how so? How will that happen? Mary not only received the greatest gift in birthing God's one and only son, but guess what? She experienced some of the greatest pain as she watched the Son of God be crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. But not just the sins of the world but her sins as well, right? She's not perfect, right? There's only one who is perfect and that is Jesus Christ. And so it reminds us that the second conflict that we see in the hope of Christmas is it comes with great suffering. It comes with great suffering. Like Mary because of the fallenness of this world, your heart will be broken. Do you agree with that? Your heart will be broken. Your ideas and your plans of what could be and should be won't always work out the way that you hope for. Dreams will be shattered expectations will go unmet, relationships will be difficult, loss will be real, and our hands of desiring control will be pried open. The hope of Christmas reminds us that things aren't the way they are supposed to be. Sin has distorted God's creation, and until he comes again, we will grieve what could be and should be. And where our hope truly lies in this life and the next will be revealed, right? When the pressures of life come, Your hope will be revealed. So there's the conflict of hope. And then lastly, the assurance. The assurance of hope. In other words, how how is comfort even possible? I mean, think about it. How is it even possible in this world? It's possible because of Jesus. And if we aren't careful, we'll blow by those first few verses in Luke 2 that we read. Uh, Let me look at them again. Let's look at verses 21 through 24. There's a lot in there, so we'll try to unpack it. It says, At the end of the eighth day or at the end of eight days, uh, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons so several things are happening here that prove to us that we have great assurance because of the work of Christ in other words our assurance of hope and comfort doesn't become because of us or our circumstances it comes from him and and what happens here well one uh, Jesus was circumcised right the scripture says that Jesus was circumcised according to the law and given the name Jesus the name Jesus means the the Lord is our salvation or God saves Uh, and it says that he was eight days old right now, I had a personal experience a couple months ago. Our, our neighbors across the street, they're Jewish, and uh, they uh, had a little boy, and they invited me uh, to the Jewish synagogue to, to witness uh, their little boy uh, on the eighth day be circumcised and be given a, he- a Hebrew name. It was interesting and, and quite amazing, to be honest with you, right, right on stage. All this is happening right on stage. Now, that's a little, a little different for us. But it reminded me of how important that that symbol was, that act was. And, And here's what we need to realize. Circumcision was given by God to Abraham in Genesis 17 as a reminder that God has made a covenant with his people. And in Leviticus 12, God's people were instructed to circumcise Jewish boys when they're eight days old as an outward sign that they belong to God. Right? That's what was happening here. So Jesus was circumcised. He was given the name. And then the scripture says that there came a time of purification according to the law. Again, the focus here is what? According to the law, after a mother gave birth to a son, she was considered ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And after 40 days, a sacrifice would be brought to the temple as an offering. And typically, that sacrifice would be a lamb and a turtle dove or a lamb and a pigeon. But if you couldn't afford the lamb, Provision was given within the law that you would bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And the scripture says that Jesus went with her. It's an amazing picture. That Jesus is identifying with who? He's identifying with us. He's identifying with sinners. And the very fact that she does not bring a lamb, but she brings uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons, shows us that Jesus is who? Jesus is the perfect sinless lamb, right? Right? So we see that in this purification but then it says that Jesus was presented or dedicated at the temple according to the law. Again, the focus is where? According to the law. Now, what does that mean? In Exodus 13, every firstborn son was to be dedicated to the Lord's service. And the way that you symbolize that this dedication had occurred is that the family, the parents, would pay five shekels to redeem or purchase him back from the Lord. So in other words, the firstborn son was given to God and in order to purchase him back, you would give five shekels. So, And again, all of this is symbolic everything according to the law right so the circumcision the baby naming the purification ritual the dedicating of Jesus to the Lord what is Mary and Joseph showing us they're showing us a commitment to honor the things of God and so much so that Luke says in verses 39 and 40 these words and when they Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now you might be thinking, what are all those verses have to do with me, right? How, How does that bring security and hope and assurance of hope because of Christ? Again, the emphasis was where? On the law, right? Now, why is that significant? It reminds us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to do what? He came to fulfill the law. And because Jesus has fulfilled the law, we have assurance of the hope of salvation, right? Paul writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, so it's 100% God, He's born of a woman, he's 100% man, there's none like him, right? And he's born under the law, that means he's 100% righteous. Jesus was born under the same standard that you and I are born under, but we can't fill it, right? The scripture says if you, if you miss one aspect of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And here is Jesus, Jesus fits the perfect standard of God, and yet he, he's born into this world like you and I. So he feels the effects of sin and the fallenness of the world but he had never sinned in thought deed or action or anything. He lived a perfect life and Jesus fulfilled God's perfect mission and what is that mission? The scripture says in verse 5 to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons, so not only is Jesus judged, but he gives the means by way you can be adopted into the family of God. So we're legally right before God and lavishly loved because of the finished work of Jesus. That's part of the hope of Christmas, right? That's the assurance that we have, the security that we have. To be right with God is not based on our performance. Praise be to God for that. It's based on the perfection of Jesus Christ. Jesus identifies with us in every way except without sin. He dies in our place, and we are blessed with the forgiveness of sin and a forever family the hope of Christmas. We also have the hope of victory. Paul writes in Romans fifteen four. for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Again, this is why it's important to study the Old Testament because when you look at the Old Testament, you find great encouragement. There's some discouragement as well, right? God's people aren't great. But the purpose of the Old Testament isn't just to show us that God's people aren't great. It's to show us that God is amazing, Right? He is always, always faithful. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God towards his people. And when life gets hard, you have a question that needs to be answered. Where are you going to turn, right? Where are you going to turn? Are you going to turn to the Lord? Are you going to turn to the word of the Lord? Are you going to depend on him? Are you going to turn to the things of this world? Listen, there is absolutely no hope when we turn to the things of the world, right? No matter what it promises, it never delivers, but yet God's word is faithful over and over and over again. Paul closes there in verse 13 with these words in Romans 15. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope through his spirit. God desires us to, to overflow with his peace and his joy, even when the circumstances and situations and people tell us differently. And guess what? There's a lot of things telling you things different, right? But what is the anchor of our life is the finished work of Christ. And because of Jesus, we have the hope of Christ in us. Close with this, Colossians 1, He says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ is not just with us, but where he is in us. I mean, that is a beautiful gift from the Lord. Think about this for a moment. Christ in you means that we have an empowered life, right? The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave now lives in us, right? Not only that, we have a transformed life. We're not the same people anymore, right? We're new creations in Christ. We have new loves, new desires. Not only that, it's a secured life. Again, it's based on the completed work of Christ, not our own. When we think about the world that we live in, how many of y'all, how many of us acknowledge that living a Christ-like life is not easy? It's not easy. Listen, it's impossible without depending on the Lord, right? And that's what the hope of Christmas reminds us. The security to walk faithfully with the Lord doesn't come because I try really hard. It, beca- it comes because I am depending solely on Him. Is there a work? Absolutely. But it's a work of faith. I am trusting that God will give me everything I need to live a life that is holy and acceptable and pleasing to him. So as we close this morning, as our worship team comes up, three observations in our passage this morning. The comfort of hope, the conflict of hope, and the assurance of hope. Where is your hope today? In your waiting, remember God is faithful. In your struggle, remember, God gives great provision. In your suffering, remember that God has gifted us with his very presence. Jesus is the true hope of Christmas. Is that your hope today? And I want to encourage you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let today be the day. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.